0: Good morning. How do you guys like change in your life? (laughs) I have to admit, ever since I was really little, I have disliked change. I cried at the beginning of every new school year for like two weeks, just because it was a different teacher and a different classroom. And I always... Get the same foods at my favorite restaurants because I don't want to change it up and get something new. The Israelites, who we studied this week in Joshua 3, have a big change in their life ahead. In Joshua 3, 4, if you look to God's word, we read, "...for you have not passed this way before." You see, the heart of change involves unknown. And change takes us to new territories, unexplored paths, and places that we have not logged hours of expertise. Change is hard because it means walking in places that we have never passed before. And change makes me have to be faced with my novice Change is a constant. Some changes that we go through will be small, and then some are more of the crisis variety. But the long and the short of it is you will face change in your life, and so will I. And change puts us in places where we have to trust God. So today we're going to dig in to God's word, and we're going to look at the gifts that change gave. And perhaps when you and I face um, whatever it is that we are standing on the brink of, perhaps we will experience some of those giftings from the Lord in our own lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you give me a teeny sliver of the spirit of wisdom that you gave Joshua. And will you illumine your word? And will you make us women who are strong and courageous? In your name we pray, amen. The first gift that change brought to the Israelites was a new word from the Lord. In Joshua 3, 9, Joshua said to Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. You know, leaders on that Young Life trip that just came back to Memphis last night issued that same invitation to high school kids all across our city. Um, Come here and listen And I want you just to think, was there a person that issued that invitation to you? Those are pretty spectacular invitations to us. This new word from God involved instructions. And the instructions basically were consecrate yourself and follow the ark. And to consecrate is to dedicate, to make set apart to make special and involved ceremonial washing it basically was an outward sign of an inward reality and we know that if you are a believer and you're hidden in Christ that you have already been washed by the blood of the lamb but it might be that at a change in your life or a place where you experience a new word from God he might be pointing out a new sin in your life or something that he says, you know what, it's time to confess this and let's get, get free of this. Um, and, and so he may be calling you to, to wash anew in the gospel. Um, and he may have instructions for you that look like get up and Follow. Sometimes in places we have never been before, he will give us also instructions that don't make the most sense. And that's what we really saw in this passage that we studied. In verse 15, there was that little aside in parentheses. The waters of the Jordan overflow all its banks during this time of harvest. Did y'all notice that in your time of study? Scholars say that that river at this point during the year was not a placid stream, but it was a raging river, perhaps a mile wide. Sometimes instructions are going to show us God's power, and they're going to teach us not to rely on our own natural human wisdom and our natural giftings. Have you ever received instructions from the Lord that didn't make sense? Those of you who've logged a lot of time walking and following Him, I bet you can think of something. Are you standing in a time of change right now? Unsure of what your instructions are? Perhaps He's issuing you an invitation now in His Word. Come here and listen to what I have to say to you. You know, the crazy thing is that nine years ago, I taught this very same passage. And I was standing on the banks of a river, and I was standing right up here in front of this same podium. Um, And on that Tuesday morning... I spoke out loud to you group of women. I'm sure there were many of you that were here. and I told you that we were um, rec- we had received instructions to walk into a new path and a new land. And I shared that that the banks seemed a little bit overflowing and that I um, that I, was walking forward because God had given us a new word. And that word was to become a transracial family through adoption. And that talk that I gave on that Tuesday morning will always be a flag for me of the miraculous providence of God. Because we had been in the adoption process for two years, start to finish, to adopt overseas from Ethiopia. And I, um, I stood in front of you with tears, and I said, so our family will move forward. And by 12 noon, we, um, we had a call from our adoption agency, and I saw the face in the picture of a son that they matched us with on that day. Um, And the Lord will forever mark that as a flag in my mind um, of just the gracious way that he says, move forward, I am with you. Um, And there are days that I would say, um, you know, the river has not parted. (laughs) And there are times where I still feel like I'm in that river holding the ark. And my feet still feel wet. And there are some days I feel like I'm drowning. Um, But we have received words from God. And we continue to along this journey. um, As we ford this river of what it is to come alongside a kid from a hurting place. Um... So I'm going to confess to you now, all these years later, I'm on the banks of another river. And the river in front of me right now, guys, it seems raging, and it seems wild, and it seems a mile wide. And speaking of raging rivers, there's a clue in that phrase as to what my river might be raging. What else does that remind you of? How about raging hormones? Any clue what I'm standing on yet? Yes, you guys, I am the mother of teenagers. Guys, the floodwaters feel like they are creeping up my legs. The water is in my hunter boots And how am I going to get across this unknown territory? Wait a minute. Let me do the math. I'm on the bank of this river, but I'm going to be drowning soon because one day I'm going to have five teenagers at once with a near teen. Yes, one day soon I'm going to have 19, 18, 17, 15, 13, 12. I'm drowning already, and I'm just on the banks Why, do you ask? Well, according to neuroscientist Francis E. Jensen, read along with me, the most important part of the human brain, the place where actions are weighed, situations are judged, decisions are made, is right behind the forehead, in the frontal lobes. This is the last part of the brain to develop. And that is why you need to be your teen's frontal lobes until their brains are fully wired and hooked up and ready to go on their own. They are dramatic. They are irrational. They scream for no reason. They do stupid things. And they have a deep need for greater independence and tender loving care. Here's why. After infancy, the brain's most most dramatic growth spurt occurs in adolescence, and that growth means things get a little muddled in that teen's mind. Teen brains are also wired to seek reward, act out, and otherwise exhibit immaturity that will change when they become adults. Meanwhile, I've heard it said, that a teenage brain is like a car with the brakes that haven't been put on yet, but the foot is already on the accelerator. Combine this, the wiring, with sinful nature and human depravity, and you can understand where I am right now. The heart of the matter is, though, my children will sin, and my children will be sinned against. And standing on the bank of this river, I've had a fresh word from God. Um, And this time, it hasn't really involved instructions. It's involved a call to confess. So I really, in my time with the Lord in preparation, feel like he has just called me to stand open and just broken before you. And the call to confess has involved God pointing out um, some sin in my life. And he has told me that I have held an idol of being seen before men. And that's why I'm so terrified of the mistakes and the sin and the trauma and the trouble of teenagers. Because my children have potential to do who knows what. And God is using that um, to point out my own sin. And so the Lord is asking me in this fresh word to look to him alone and to cast down the idol of performance. Um, and in this way, I'm consecrating myself before him and I am asking him to let my mothering be as before him alone, as an audience of one. And I'm trusting him to bring each of these future teens with their crazy brains and their crazy sin over the waters as well into the promised land of a full, rich, walk-with-Jesus kind of life. Um, So, there we have it. In times of change, look out and watch for fresh words that he might be giving you. Gather them up. Now, Change also brought the Israelites the gift of a new way of seeing the presence of God with them. A new revelation of the presence of God. This was a new way of knowing that God was with them. In Joshua 3 verse 10, he says, Here is how you should know the living God is among you. And behold, the Ark of the Covenant is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, I really have two points here. The first point being um, that in this passage, we see God's mercy, and we see that his presence was in front of them. So the Ark of the Covenant was a sacred chest built by the Israelites under the exact specifications given by God. And it included a pledge by God that he would dwell among his people and that he would sit on this mercy seat that was up on the top of this Ark. So the mercy seat of God, Goes before them where they can see it. And ladies, I want the mercy seat of God to be in my vision at all times. Because when the mercy of God is before us as our guiding presence, this is what we might perhaps, sound like? And this is from Paul David Tripp in his book, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. So with mercy in front of me, I have no resume to hold before you, no track record of accomplishments, no letters of commendation, no rights of birth or ethnicity. I hold nothing that would place you in my debt, nothing that could curry your favor, nothing that would obligate you. I wish zeal would commend me to you. I wish unbroken obedience would draw your attention. I wish model wisdom and model love would convince you that I'm worthy. But I have none of these things to offer before you. I stand before you with shoulders bent, hands that are empty. I stand before you naked and undeserving, broken and weak. I am quite aware of the duplicity of my heart, the evil of my choices, and the failures of my behavior. But I am not afraid Because I stand before you with one argument, one plea. The argument's enough. The plea is sufficient. This argument is the only thing that could ever give me courage, rest, and sturdy hope. So I come before you with this plea, your mercy Your mercy is my rest, your mercy is my hope, your mercy makes me bold. Your mercy is all I need. Your mercy tells me you will hear, your mercy tells me you will act. Your mercy tells me you will forgive. Your mercy tells me you will restore. Your mercy tells me you will strengthen. Your mercy is my welcome, my plea, and my rescue. I rest in this one thing. You are mercy, and you will answer. May the mercy seat of God be out in front of us as we walk forward every single day. We also see that... God's presence was in front of them. A question that I'm asking of God right now is, Lord, who do you want to be for me right now? Remember in chapter 1, verse 9, we read, Be strong, courageous, was their instruction. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever, wherever you go. His presence creates the strength and the courage that we need for the situation. So when we stay close and we lean in, and we know that he will not fail or forsake, Um, we are given the strength and the courage. The presence is the gift. And so learning, this is from Pastor Graham Cook, he says, learning to receive the strength and the courage from his presence under pressure is one of the key lessons in learning to walk with God. Because fear occurs when we make the opposition greater than God's presence with. And then we end up living deprived of the resources that we need to walk. And so this change gave Israel a visual representation of the fact that he was with. And that visual presence said, I'm going before you. I know what is ahead of you. I have already been there. And that's where the strength and the courage can come from. I've already seen the places that you are going to have problems in. And I have already done something about it, even before you've gotten there. He is hiding provisions and blessings in our future predicaments. God is out in front of us because he's not bound by time. Charles Spurgeon says, Note, your present pathway is new to you, but it is not new to your God. Everything that happens today or will happen tomorrow is new to us because we have to live in the present moment. And even though we endeavor to project ourselves a little forward, it is generally in a wrong fashion, so we do not see the truth of coming events. We only imagine what we see. But all things are present to the eye of God. Tomorrow, there is no such thing with Yahweh Past, present, future, those are human words. Now is God's word, and he comprehends it all. The Lord has no emergencies. He's never at the end of his resources. Oh, fellow pilgrim, in this confidence, says Charles Spurgeon, this new road to you is an old road to God. Third, change brought the gift of a new way of talking about what God had done in their lives. In Joshua 4, verse 6 and 7, when your children ask you in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So the stone shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The miracle that God did was not just to get them across the water. The miracle was to give them strengthened faith in his ability to work for them. They were not to forget about it. And when he led them through and he parted those waters, he proved his ability to take care of his kids. And they were supposed to remember the ways that he had taken care of them so they could tell them to that next generation. God is so gracious to us. He remembers that we have spiritual amnesia. Are you guilty of of that predicament in your life? He he knows that we so easily forget, and he commands us to do certain things that will serve as reminders. Pastor Ben Roach, who's an author who writes on Desiring God, says that the memorials did four things for the Israelites. They enabled them to first think. When They walked past this defining pile of 12 stones. They marked a defining moment in their lives. And they were to think back. So was there a moment that God has shown his power in your life? When he guided you in a very clear way? When he answered a prayer? When he fulfilled a promise? Do you ever think upon those things. And then they were instructed to thank, um, to remember God has worked mightily on our behalf, and to engage their hearts in gratitude for what he's already done. And then they also were supposed to tell they, these instructions were specifically to parents to, with children. But in your life right now, is there anyone around, neighbor, someone of that younger generation, that he might want you to tell one of those stories to? And my kids absolutely love retelling some of my little miracle stories that I tell them of the time that the Lord worked out this circumstance, the time one of mine loves. I have a a time in my life where someone had lied to me, and the Lord flagged it to me in a sort of miracle, and he worked on my behalf, to um, be protected from this person's lie. That's one of my kids' favorite stories because then they say, who lied to you and what was the lie? They want to know all the details, which I don't tell them. But they sure know that God is able to protect his kids and he's able to reveal things when he needs to reveal them in protection of his children. Um. And the last way a memorial might be used for you is just to transcribe, to actually write it down. If you're writing out your prayer requests, then you can record ways in which God has answered those prayers. Um, We were at a party once where our dinner game was this catchy little game called If You Know Me Well and If You Know Me Lately. And it's one of my favorite games. But if, so I'm going to play it with y'all right now. If you know me well, you would know that I'm a journaler. And I have kept um, prayer journals ever since I started walking with Jesus. And I have like three Tupperwares in my attic full that John is supposed to burn if something happens to me. Um, but I pull them out and go back and look at the record of God's faithfulness to me. So if you know me well, you know I'm a journaler. If you know me lately, you know I've just discovered that I love Charles Dickens. Little aside, I somehow escaped through school ever reading him, and now I have all these fun new books that I'm loving. Um, So how are memorials being used in your life? Are there markers and ways that you're going back and remembering how he's taken care of you before? And are you speaking about those things to important people in your life? And finally, change brought the people a new exalting of Joshua. This was a manifestation or a public declaration of Joshua's calling To the people, in chapter 3, verse 7, God had told him, today I'm going to exalt you. And then chapter 4, verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. And they stood in awe of him as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So this miracle of the water parting and their entry into this new path, this new land he was calling them to, it made public God's calling of Joshua as their leader because Joshua was going to ask them to face a lot of battles ahead. And they needed to know that God was with him. And they needed to know that they could trust him really, they needed to see that if God can use you, Joshua, to tame a raging river, you can help us to defeat the Amorites and the walled cities and those giants that we're going to come up against. And so change can really give us this personally as well, Um, when we see the presence of God, and we have experienced those new words from him, change can magnify the greater Joshua in our lives. You see, there's a greater Joshua who would one day, get this, stand out in the middle of that very same river. In John 1, verse 28, these things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The name Bethany actually means Bethapara in Hebrew, place of crossing. We don't know if it was at that exact spot where Jesus would one day stand, but we know that at some point he was out in the middle of those very same waters. And it was there in those same waters that Luke, verse 322 says, When Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So right here... In that Jordan River, the greater Joshua was magnified and the presence of the Trinity was revealed and the gospel is proclaimed because the greater Joshua's work for us on the cross allows the Father to say of you, you, you are my daughter, and because of the gospel, with you I am very well pleased. And to quote Cole Huffman, nothing about you, daughter, bothers me when you are in my presence because of Jesus. So our Lord delights to show us his face. um, And he delights to show us himself um, in the middle of places where we recognize our utter inabilities so we can see and truly know we can contribute nothing to our deliverance. So I don't know what changes lie ahead for you this next year. That's a thing about change. Sometimes you don't even know till it's right around the corner for you or you're looking at it straight in the face. You know, maybe nine years from now, Cricket will ask me to teach this again. (laughs) And maybe I will have stories of God's provision. And maybe I will have seen water's part. And maybe I will have most of these teenagers raised. (laughs) Um, But I'm sure... In those nine years, I'll probably stand on the banks of another big change. I, I, So I don't know what it is that's ahead for you. But may God's word help you to be strong and courageous. May, may you receive, in those times of change, new words from him. And may you receive the knowledge that his presence is the mercy seat of God and his presence is out in front of you and he's not bound by time. May you receive new ways of being able to talk about him with those that are in your life. And may Jesus be magnified in our lives above all else. Thank y'all.